0: Welcome to Red Flags Tell Your Truth, Narcissist Edition. I am Jesse Solid Jess Bushdigan, and this is Episode 1. We're going to talk today about my story, what I went through, why I became a podcaster and a life coach in narcissistic abuse, the trials and tribulations that I went through, and some of the things that I did as well in the relationship. Before we start, we're going to start with the sponsors, Anna Lanier and her depression class. She is the secret roadmap out of depression. She is a life coach in uh, getting over depression in 30 days. If you feel that you are depressed, you do not have to use drugs. You can do it all on your own, and we have a course that can help with that. The description will be in the comments or in the description of the show. Please check out Anna Lanier, she is a dear friend of mine. This is the third edition of my show. Uh, Every time I record it, my narcissist has it deleted, eventually. So we're going to try this show again, third time's a charm, and dive right into it. I was with my narcissist for about seven years. We had a very long road. I loved her very much and i still do we met one day at a restaurant that i started working at it uh, was home of the smiling burger if anybody knows which the one that is i started there and in a week's time i had gone through the orientation of of the restaurant and i took my own tables and at the end of the day she came to me and said my manager came to me and said she was having a party, that I, I would be welcome to come and maybe I could meet some some people that worked here and, you know, get to familiar with everyone. And at the time, you know, I had been doing a lot with my older son and I haven't had a lot of time to go out, so I was really excited that evening to be able to go out and, and have some fun. That evening when I showed up, there was no one there. I asked her, you know, where is everybody and all she did was pull out a bottle of wine and say no one's coming i just didn't know how to get you alone well i felt like a million dollars ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen i can tell you right now that no one's ever put that kind of effort for me before and you know i i felt special in a way they always do make you feel special As we sat there and talked, we liked the same things. We liked the same music. We liked the same everything. The flow of the conversation was so easy that I felt so comfortable with this person right off the bat. By the end of the night, it seemed like she was my soulmate, and she even told me that I was. And as we slept together the same evening that I met her, really, um, I knew I wanted to be with her. For the rest of my life even if it was later on known to be fake as i got up the next morning we went to work and after work she followed me home and this happened every day for about three months she would go to work she would follow me home she would never go home and while we're in the first phase of narcissism it's called love bombing what it does is it gives you a euphoric type of beer goggles almost like a jedi mind trick that they mirror you and, and make you think that they are perfect but really what you're doing is dating yourself and so for that time it, it is very very blinding it is very very intense and they will be with you at all costs they will always be around you at all costs after the beer goggles had worn off about three months later i asked her you know you know you have a place to live right like Maybe you should go there. Like, why Why are you always here? Shouldn't you take care of what's ever going on at your home? And she said, well, why don't we go to my house the next day? And we did. We got up the next day and, you know, um, we had the day off. So I went over there. And the minute we walked in and I went around the corner to the living room, there was her cat laid out. Her cat had died of starvation because she was so focused on me and the love bomb phase of the relationship that she forgot about her own cat. She also had a dog that, you know, we had take we had to take home with us that night, obviously, to take care of because nobody was. Uh, the dog was very skinny, very emaciated. But the weird thing is, ladies and gentlemen, is that I didn't see a red flag. Yes, it was there, but in these types of relationships, the flags fly by us so fast that we don't see the color. And as I cleaned up the cat, you know, she's she's obviously in shock in, in a way, but you could tell it was a little fake. Um, she was like, well, you know what? Why don't we move in together? We will save money. We want to be together with each other. And, you know, it might be a good idea, right? I love you. She would always say I love you very much. She would always grab me by my face and make me look at her eyes. And she would always say that I was her endgame. That no matter what happened, she would never leave me. And after a long time of that, I really did believe that. As we moved her into my place, of course, the love bomb phase eventually ended, like all narcissists. And the devalue started the emotional, psychological, physical abuse that would happen. She gets used to get so angry that she would shake uncontrollably and she would drop to her knees and, and and just scream at me. And I remember I would always try to leave the situation. I would try to deescalate the situation. and She would always sit in front of the, the door so that I couldn't leave. And she would just continue and continue and continue. It would be over little things. It would be over nothing trivial. It would be it be over absolutely nothing. But I loved her, so I let it happen. About six months into the relationship, we got pregnant with our first kid. Um, you know, I was happy because you know I wanted a family. I've always wanted to have family. It was one of my dreams. It was one of my things that I wanted in life. And of course, I was scared though who wouldn't be scared second child you're only like 26 27 it was it was it was a scary thing so <clears throat> this one day I'm at work and um, you know a friend of mine picks me up from work and this is someone that I had feelings for before that was a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in a long time and they wanted to go for coffee the night That night when she dropped me off after we had gone for an ice cap or coffee or whatever it was, she told me that she had left her man and that she was ready to be with me even though I was with Shauna. And she leaned over and she kissed me. I got out of the car immediately and I went inside and I told my narcissist what had happened. I was honest, I was straight up about it that I had kissed this person. I didn't live that down for six years that I apparently had cheated on her with this person when I I clearly didn't see it coming and and I didn't kiss back and I told her immediately what had happened but to her I was cheating and that's where the projection started because she was cheating all along. You know as the months went by you know we started to see you know progress in the baby right? So she decided that, you know, she needed to tell her family. At this time we were both having trouble at work because she was one of my managers and I was a server and now we're pregnant and it didn't look good on the company. So I remember we went to her family's one day for a party for a Christmas party and she wanted to tell everybody at the party that we were pregnant. And I had brought my two-year-old son along. They had got him some sort of present. And, um, you know, I think it was a fire truck, and he opened that. It was really great, mingling. And then she nodded at me that she wanted to tell everyone. So she went, Okay, everybody, a Christmas miracle. We're pregnant. And usually, when you tell somebody or, or, or family that you're pregnant, there's cheers and, and congratulations. And instead, all I got when she told everybody, everyone looked and was silent whole room silent and i didn't understand what was happening because it was for a a large amount of time like, like one or two minutes these people just stared at us silently and finally her her aunt uh who who is of the lgbtq community um came forward and she looked at me and she said you know i own a gun right And this was in front of my two-year-old son. So I picked up my son and looked at at this person, and I said, you know, I think it's time to go. And, you know, we left. And, ladies and gentlemen, the smear campaign that the narcissist does never starts at the middle or or the end. It always starts at the beginning. It starts right right off the bat so they plant the seeds that you're a monster early on. So that if something ever happens, you are the monster when they leave you, and that's what was happening there. They, she, whoever she had told them already was obviously terrible, because they weren't happy about having a baby with me. So as uh, you know, Grace and my second son came along. I was in the um, the room giving birth, and. All of a sudden, you know, I want to go tell everybody that my son is there. So I go on Facebook and they're on every single picture on everything that I had on that account. Her family had slandered, calling me a junkie or something or other, right? Yes, at one time I did have drug problems, but it wasn't problems. I had been in a very large car accident where later on down the road, my back snapped out. And I was put on oxycodone and a bunch of drugs for my back pain. And eventually, my narcissist went to a friend's house and got a bag of drugs and told me that this would help me function. And I did. I did them for a while because I was told I was allowed to. And it was my fault. I should never have done it. But I did have a drug problem at one time. But not at that time. So... As we went through the motions of Grayson being born and coming into this world, we had both lost our jobs at that point. And we were on EI and we didn't know what to do. We had moved to the West End. It was getting expensive. And all of a sudden, one day, she gets an email from a company uh, saying that they would like to give her a job. She came to me and she said, "Oh, oh, Jess, I need this. I want this. I really need this in my life. I need this to make me feel better. I really want to go. And I said, you understand that makes me the stay-at-home parent. She said, yes. I said, okay, if you want to do this, then then by all means, I would never tell you no. And, you know, know, the night before, uh, she left. Because the stipulation for this job is that she had to leave and go and train in Minnesota for two and a half months was that that she had to go she had to leave i talked to a lot of mothers and i talked to a lot of parents and at six months old my son was at the time uh, no one would have ever left their son and she did the night before she left i took her to jubilation's dinner theater here in edmonton and i you know i planned out a really great evening my grandmother who had a wedding ring Uh, gave it to me uh, to give to her so my friend was in the play that night and at mid at the halftime show took her up on stage uh to have fun or whatever with her and i pretended to go to the bathroom and i came out back out of the back of the stage with a bunch of people and i proposed to her on stage in front of an auditorium full of people with my grandmother's ring of course she said yes and we were engaged and the next day she left for Minnesota. Now, she promised me that we would talk every day, all day. You know, she would never go MIA, but that's exactly what she did. She would go MIA sometimes. One night I heard she went to the bar with a bunch of guys, and just things were shady and, and things were happening that didn't I couldn't explain. And when she left, you know, I have a six month old son. I I knew that that dads don't hear the cries of the baby. I've I've read that on uh, research that I did coming up for that date. But she promised me her family and friends would help me, which of course they didn't. They never showed up. And I ended up staying up for 10 days straight because I was scared to fall asleep because of the baby until literally I was hallucinating and I had to call my mother and ask her to relieve me. Now, my mother and I never had a really great relationship. There was things in our past that have always come up. But I had called her and told her that she needed to come relieve me because I had stayed up that long. And eventually, you know, I did get a routine down. And, you know, while she was working and over there, she did miss my son's first steps and whatnot. I had to send it to her by video. And, you know, when she got back, you know, the first time she gets back, she puts away her stuff, and she's, you know, playing with Grayson because she missed all of us. And I noticed that the ring was gone. I, I go, hey, hey, babe, where's the ring? And she had pawned it to pay for the trip and forgot about it, and we never got it back. I had to replace that ring with wish ring. It's terrible. But I let it go. Because that's what we do. We drop our boundaries for these people. We love them unconditionally, and we will do anything for them, especially the way they can manipulate us. So, she started to work five days a week, fifteen-hour shifts all the time, never seeing us, never seeing a kid. And one day, you know, she 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 left at six thirty in the morning or so, and she didn't come back till two thirty in the morning. And I she always had an excuse for things like that. But I knew what the real excuse was, and I'm sure you do as well, people. So one day she's doing her devalue and, you know, hitting me like she used to do and calling me names and whatnot. And I finally got away from her and I, I, try, I tried to get away from her by going downstairs. And she jumped on my back trying to break my neck on the stairs. And I got her off me. She had fallen forward and, and went down the stairs. And then proceeded to to hit me, and after I got her got her off of me, she grabbed my face with her claws and she pulled really hard and left three gashes in my face that were pretty big. The cops were called by her after she figured out what she had done was wrong. She went into victim mode right away, so she didn't get in trouble and called the cops on me, saying I assaulted her, even though there wasn't a mark on her. And the police came and they told me that I should go to a hotel room for the night and sleep it off. So I did. They drove me there. And then in the morning when I when I woke up, I waited till about 10.30 and I went home. And I was in my house for about three minutes. I would just taken off my shirt to change it. And my door gets kicked in by the cops. I get put on my face and they pretty much beat the shit out of me in my living room. She had been upstairs telling them I had done it again. I didn't as I'm sitting in the cop car half naked on Thanksgiving long weekend she's standing on the front step with the cops talking to them and I remember begging her please please don't do this like, I did nothing wrong and as she looked at me through the windshield she smirked that narcissistic smirk and that was you know the first time I saw the mask come off I went to the holding cells for four days because it was a long weekend and she went to a woman's shelter and she played it up and said she was a battered woman, and abused and all this stuff. I went on the street after that because I wasn't allowed to go home. I had to get a hotel room for the month. And after a little bit, she ended up getting a money in an apartment from the woman's shelter. And then moved me in, even though we had a no contact order. As we waited for the trial or the, whatever, the, the Crown Prosecutor called Bea and my lawyer up personally and dropped all charges due to false information. They almost charged her with fraud, but I, I told him that we didn't, I didn't want to charge her and, and left it alone. And I just want to go about my life. So now we're in, you know, her apartment, it's now her control. It's not our apartment anymore. Pretty much was segregated to a kitchen chair as she cheated with her ex boyfriend and, you know, devalued me anytime she got, I recorded her once because she had been lying to her family about us being back together. And I recorded her and found, she found out I was recording. She attacked me again. I ended up doing the EPO a second time. And I ended up going for coffee right after that with a friend of mine and telling him the situation that was involved. He said, look, Jess, I have a house that me and my husband, uh, you know, bought, but I can't pay for and we're not together anymore. Has no walls, has no floors. You know, we're going to fix it up and whatnot, the backyard and everything. And we made a deal that I would pay him uh, and it would be both ours. And half and half of ours, right? So for three weeks or so, I, I, I fixed up the place myself. I got all the flooring and all the walls done. And I cleaned up the backyard and I made a home for us. So I went home to this person and I told them, look, I'm leaving this place today. If you want to come with me, you can. You can break your lease. If you're not, that's okay. I'm leaving today. And I did. She followed me. We started living in this house together and it was, it was a fabulous house. Uh, it was a great starter home. And then we got pregnant with our second child, Ivy. I was excited for this one. It was our first girl and everything seemed to just be do- doing okay. Or so I thought as you know, when we don't know what narcissism is, we never understand the full gravity of the situation. And one day she told me that I was a narcissist and that I needed help and that, that I was crazy and she would gaslight me, all this stuff. So one day I was walking by a bookstore and I ended up picking up a cluster B personality disorder help book. And I remember that I was on the bus and I was reading this book and the second chapter, it was a big stop sign right in the middle. And it said, if you have bought this book or are reading this book to help yourself because you think you're a narcissist, you're not. Because a narcissist would never buy this book. And that made me think, you know, like, why is she telling me that I'm one if I'm I'm not what this book is saying? And, you know, later on, we were sitting on the bed once and and she had asked me how my golfing was with my friend. And I went, I, I didn't golf. What are you talking about? She said, yeah, you did. You went yesterday. And i said no i didn't and she sat there for two and a half hours convincing me that i had gone golfing until i was like hmm, maybe i was maybe i did go golfing i don't remember it but if she's telling me i had like i must have so i ended up googling why i keep being told that i'm doing things and saying things that i'm not and gaslighting pops up and i read the definition and you know i I was like there's no way she she could do that to me there's no way this can't be right and that night she did did it again she did the exact same thing again and I, i had asked her i said why are you gaslighting me right now this isn't right why are you doing that and then she really knew that the mask had slipped and that she was starting to be known i was sober at that time again for a long time and when when Ivy came into the world, it was uh, February of 2020, and that was the same time COVID hit. So I made a thing with her and her mom that she would go with her mom to give birth, and I would stay home with our son Grayson because we didn't know what COVID did yet to people. So when she gave birth to Ivy. Um, She failed to tell me, which I found out later, that she didn't put me on the birth certificate, which was a shock to me. And eventually, you know, we went about our lives and the baby was growing up and our son's getting older. And then June 13th, she woke up, told me she loved me. She did her yoga. I played with Grayson, our son. And I sat down for lunch. She said it was ready. And she grabbed the kids and she walked out the door. I had no idea what was happening. She just was leaving. And I'm on the front step begging her not to leave. But she wouldn't even answer me. And she ghosted me for about a week. I had no idea where she was. This hurt a lot. And the first time that she came on the... Facebook Messenger. I I didn't recognize this person after seven years. This person was cold and calculated. No empathy, no remorse, no care for me whatsoever. And with my narcissist, when she would devalue me, her pupils would dilate very large, as if she was getting high off my pain. I have it on film. This was a very hard day for me because I would beg from her and my children to come back. I would try to find ways to get them to come back to my life, and she didn't want it whatsoever. So after a couple weeks of this, I get an anonymous email from somebody. I still don't know to this day. There was a bunch of Facebook Messenger posts in it. And to one guy, it said that there was a stepdaddy position open, and another man was married, she was sleeping with. So I confront her about it. She doesn't say anything she just ghosts me and i die inside a little bit more trigger warning ladies and gentlemen just so you know at night i got really drunk i put a gun in my mouth and i pulled the trigger nothing happened because the gun jammed but i wanted to die i was going through something called trauma bond it's when you are addicted to your abuser like Stockholm Syndrome, when they leave you, and they discard you, you feel like you're going through withdrawal from drugs, like heroin, and it's painful, and it's crazy, and you've never felt anything like it in your life. After I woke up the next day, after trying to take my life, I I promised that no one would ever get me down like that again. I rolled myself into graphic design school, I got a lawyer. I went to a therapist called Teresa Robinson. She was an amazing woman. After about the fifth session of therapy, she looked at me and said, Jess, you don't know who you've been living with, do you? I said, no. She said, like, you don't know what she is? I said, no. She said, Jessie, she's a covert narcissist with sociopathic tendencies, highest I've ever seen. I said, I don't, I don't know what that is. And she's like, I want you to go look up Dr. Ramani and come back to me in the morning. So I did. And uh, it blew my mind. The first video I ever watched was the silent treatment and the final discard. And literally it was what was happening to me to a T. So I went to the lawyer and we pulled up our claims. And when we gave them to her, her lawyer called us and said, Oh, you'd never got our claims? We filed three weeks ago. When we got the claims, there was no address, no phone number, no way of getting a hold of me, just my name so that if I had Missed the court date, she would have won sole custody by default. As I go into the first court date, I'm vilified already. The claims were that I had extremely limited time with both children, that she was the complete financial breadwinner, that I was so incompetent as a father I needed to be supervised, and I was so high on meth that apparently I couldn't keep a job. And these words hurt more than anything because I was none of those things. I was a good dad. I was a good person and I loved her very much and didn't still understand why this was happening. As we were in the courtroom, they had to believe her because of the allegations. They asked me to do a piss test every Tuesday every, for about three months on my own dime. And she, we, I could see my kids in a park four hours at a time. She got to pick the park. She picked a concrete park with no shelter, no bathroom, so it was fa- set up for failure at the beginning. She would sit in the parking lot with her mother taking notes while her sister and sister's fiance would circle the park like I was some kidnapper or some pedophile. And because I was incompetent as a father, I wasn't allowed any help. So I would have to strap my, my baby to my chest and run around with my three-year-old for four hours at a time for three months. I did it. I did it very well at the third court date. The, the judge reamed her out because she asked for less time with my son and she knew she was going to lose in trial. So she loved bombing back into the relationship that evening with a text with, hi, how are you doing? And I loved her very much. So I did go back. What happened going forward was a travesty. By the end of it, she had won full custody, full decision-making, and I get one hour a week. But she did it with lies, by telling them that my kids were withdrawing from drugs, without a medical report, or cops, or CPS even investigating. The judge still said that he believed her. I have been through many things, and some that I haven't even talked to on this podcast. But the thing is, ladies and gentlemen, when we got back together after she knew she was going to lose in court, the stipulation for us being a family again was that I sell my home that I built with my own two hands and move into an apartment that she picked for me across the street. So I did. I packed up my house, you know and moved into this apartment across the street. We started doing one day on one day off with the kids talking every day on the phone or me going over there or her coming over to my house. And we went through Christmas and we went through new year's and on January 31st, well, no, we went through new year's and then she started to back away saying that she needed to find herself, that she needed to love herself again, but how could, she loved her family if she didn't love herself. Well, I knew what that meant, ladies and gentlemen, that she was cheating again. So the kids started to come to me more and more, and she had her free time. And then January 31st, she wanted to come over. First time in four weeks. She came over for two hours. She only wanted sex. And then she got up to leave, and I said, why don't you want to stay with me? thought you loved me again. Thought we were be going to be a family she just walked out of the house so i went to bed that evening i got up with the kids i fed them and brought them back over to her house and when i came back home to work i get a ding on my phone that i'm apparently back on drugs that my time with my kids is suspended and that uh, i needed hair follicle tests to see them again and i asked her why why would you do this They were just with me the night before. If you were so concerned, why not stay or take them with you? She just said nothing. She had ghosted me again. So I went to TikTok and I put my story out there. She had made a smear campaign last June that got rid of most friends and, and all family. And just alienated me and segregated me away from everyone. So I knew she was going to do this again. So... I ended up going to TikTok and telling my story and ended up having a following from that. Some people went and saw my story and saw that she was at the same time boasting and showing the kids on screen when I was crying on the other one. A Friend of mine went to her and said, you know you're going to emotionally hurt those children, don't you? And her reply was, I don't care what happens to the kids, he deserves it. Well, 333,000 people ended up reporting her for emotional abuse of her own children. I went to mediation and I begged her to go. And still nothing, no comments, no talking, no nothing. As I was doing my TikTok one day, a guy came in my live and told me about that he needed to talk to me about something, that he couldn't eat or sleep anymore and all this stuff, and he ended up going to my DMs and telling me about their two-year affair in detail. That's about the time I put my daughter's picture up next to the man's picture that I had taken, and they were a spitting image, and I learned that day that my daughter was not mine. When I confronted her about this, she still said nothing, but the next day, the very last day she had to reply for mediation, I had the police knocking on my door with an EPO, an emergency protection order, telling me that I was the stalker because I lived across the street and that I was apparently threatening her, which I wasn't. Even in the transcripts that we got eventually, it even showed that there was no threats. So when the judge dropped the EPO, eventually, her crooked lawyer, who was her cousin, went and put on the same EPO that they had just dropped like nothing ever happened. We eventually went into the courtroom because I served her with papers for the custody of the kids and I wanted 50-50. She got up on stand and she told them that my kids were withdrawing from drugs and that when we asked her what the medical report was, she said there wasn't one, that pediatricians don't do it for that small children. And that's very wrong because they do it in utero. When we asked her whether the cops or the CPS agents were investigating kids being on drugs, she said there was none. And the judge leaned down and told her that he believed her, awarded her full custody, full decision making. Even though I had evidence to the contrary, and that I had a negative hair follicle test showing I wasn't on drugs. But still, I only got one hour a week at a facility I have to pay for. And sorry, ladies and gentlemen, whether you like it or not, like me after it or not. I won't do that one hour it'll hurt my children and validate every lie that she ever told and even after that i even got the cops showing up my door arresting me for breach of epo when i did nothing wrong and when i as i went to jail they they said that they didn't appreciate the book that i wrote obviously friends of hers And when I got out of jail and went home a week later, the cops came back to arrest me again. This time they asked me for my Facebook URL and brought it way back over there to compare with hers. And they found out that they had replicated my Facebook and she texted herself. And that I was being breached for EPO because she was texting herself as me. They have started a smear campaign on TikTok and on Clubhouse. 36 videos on TikTok, just about me. That's not narcissistic. I don't know what is. And so on and so forth. I lived across the street for a whole year, and I did not even speak to my kids on the phone, not even once, since February. I have now moved because of this, because I couldn't sit next door anymore. This is what they do to us, ladies and gentlemen, the gaslighting, crazy-making, the Infidelity, the lies, the masks. This is why I do what I do. This is why I'm a life coach in narcissistic abuse. This is why I work with a depression coach. This is why I do the rooms, the TikToks, the podcasts, because awareness needs to be brought these days to this illness, especially female narcissism, which is taboo because us as fathers and men are villainized by people like this. And I want that to end, I want that to stop. Nobody deserves to be abused. And that's the ramifications of it. I'm going to be that light in the darkness at the end of the day for those people that were abused. And for men that don't come forward, it's time to. It's 2021. It's time to tell our feelings and tell about our abusers because the domestic violence statistics do not show men's statistics. We're going to change the system, ladies and gentlemen, one day at a time. But as for now, thank you for listening to Red Flags Tell Your Truth. My name is Jesse Solid Jess Bush, and I bid you a good day. I'll see you next week.